I'm pleased to welcome Audio-Technica back as presenting partner for Season 5 of Let's Talk About Sects. Audio-Technica's support has allowed this podcast to continue to grow, and their equipment is a huge reason why it sounds great. 60 years ago, Hideo Matsushita established Audio-Technica in a small flat in Shinjuku, Tokyo. Today, you can experience his legacy with affordable audio equipment to help with working from home, content creation, and if you're like me, getting the best out of your vinyl collection. Find out more at audio-technica.com and use promo code LTAS10 if you're in Australia to get a discount and support this show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In January 2018... Arvi started seeing a new psychologist in Melbourne, Australia. She'd had therapy before, so the process wasn't new to her. Arvi had experiences with childhood trauma and particularly wanted to get some help with managing panic attacks. The registered psychologist she found seemed to be a great fit. She had a holistic approach, utilising science-based practices alongside spiritual considerations, looking at ways of connecting with the core sense of self as well as with the body. These were all things that Avi was hoping to work on. But a couple of months into the 2020 lockdowns, Avi realised that her life had become completely entwined with her psychologists. She had no time for her own projects, a lot of her other relationships had suffered, and her health was deteriorating. As she became aware that she was being isolated, boundaries were being broken and information divulged in therapy was being used against her, Avi came to realise that, in fact, her psychologist had been trying to groom her into a cult. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sects, a podcast about cults around the world. I'm your host, Sarah Steele. Before we get into this episode, a content warning. This podcast deals with issues that some people may find disturbing, related to trauma, emotional abuse and controlling behaviours. Please use your discretion as to whether this will be suitable for you and those around you who may be listening too. In July, I received an email from Avi, telling me about her experiences with her psychologist, and I was shocked. I often talk with cult survivors about how difficult it is to find a therapist who understands cult dynamics and can really help them come to terms with what they've been through. But the idea that a registered psychologist could actually be trying to recruit someone into a cult, well, it sounded like it shouldn't be possible. Unfortunately, it was. So, Avi, I wonder if you could tell me what was going on when you were seeking help from a therapist back in 2018. Yes, sure. I was going through a lot of anxiety 
at the time and having a lot of panic attacks and I didn't really understand why so or what was causing it. So I thought I should seek out some help because I knew a lot of the things that I was kind of carrying physically were things I've been carrying my whole life and trauma-based and I wanted to work through that and, you know, the pain and everything that I was carrying in my body. So I wanted to be more comfortable in my body as well. That was one of the reasons that I wanted to do therapy work. So I knew I had PTSD, which I later discovered was CPTSD, and I wanted to heal and not have to live with the anxiety and to get more control over my life. And I was seeing another psychologist at the time for a few sessions, but it just was more talk therapy and I just felt like it wasn't really helping me a lot and I needed something a bit deeper and more holistic and spiritual. It's just the way I work. Like I need to understand more existentially about myself and how I fit into the world and how I operate and I was looking for that more kind of spiritual and holistic approach. So that's something that I was always looking for since I was a really young kid and that was Mm. the main reason I was seeking help, yeah, back then. Sure. And so how was it that you came across the psychologist that you then ended up seeing and who you chose for your therapy? Well, I actually watched a documentary called Heal. I don't know if you've heard of it on Netflix, I think it was. And I really felt connected. It's, It's basically a documentary about different ways you can heal, like through therapy or different kind of modalities. And I felt connected to some of the therapists practicing on that, the way they were practicing holistically. And it was a deeper meaning, which is something that really clicked with me straight away. And I thought, oh, I want to find someone like that here mm. because that was overseas. And I basically Googled soul psychologist or holistic psychologist, and I found the psychologist I ended up seeing. And I checked out her website. She's been doing it for like over 25 years. So I thought, okay, she's got some experience under her belt. And then I called her, spoke on the phone. She sounded okay. You know, like I asked her about her approach. It sounded good. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't really tell much, you know, when you first speak with someone, but you kind of Mm -hmm. try to get a gist about it. It seemed like she was going to operate in the way that I was looking for and sound like she had the bits that was missing from my therapy that Mm -hmm. I wasn't getting from this other woman. So I thought I'd give it a shot and and then I started seeing her. Yeah. And then, so at the start, what were your initial impressions like? My initial impressions were that she knew what she was doing. Like in the first couple of sessions, she knew what she was doing and her approach and her technique. You know, she was well-trained in that. She also spoke spiritually about things and about you know that you're part of something bigger and that there's a deeper meaning to life and that there's this higher power that you know that we're all connected to the universe and and that is like my keywords it's like oh that's cool like I get that stuff you know I kind of I just really like and resonate with knowing that I'm part of you know I believe in the fact that I'm part of something bigger and that really resonated in the sessions at the beginning when we were working together And there was a lot of aha moments because the way she spoke, I thought, yeah, I get that, you know, and she was Mm -hmm. gentle and caring. All of her approach was about coming back to loving yourself and coming back to being gentle with yourself. For me, you know, I've always been really harsh on myself and being Mm -hmm. pretty unloving at times. So it just, yeah, that felt really good. And I felt safe then because of it, you know, with her and Mm -hmm our values about the world match. You know, I would come in saying, God, the world is crazy, you know, going crazy outside. And she would she would agree and validate that. Mm-hmm. So I liked her teachings about coming back to all of that and to coming back to your core self and that 
all the healing is about coming back to your soul because that's where it all happens, you know. So I felt like she got me and I felt like I was understood and I saw positive changes. Like I, even in the very beginning, like I was seeing a change in how I was approaching things and because she had a lot of experience in life as well, it just it felt like a good match. And mm. there was a little corny thing, like she has angel cards. I don't know if you've ever seen angel cards. It's back from the 80s that I've got like little cards that just have little words that you pull out and you can do them just if you want to see what you end up pulling out. And she had the exact same ones I have. So it was kind of like, oh, we're on the same page. You know, you kind of get that with someone. Like you feel like, oh, yeah, she's mm-hmm. a good she's a good fit. Just, I mean, it's kind of a slight thing. I don't base my psychology on that, but my psychology work on that. But yeah, it was, it was good. The initial impressions were good. There was nothing that was telling me, you know, otherwise. Yeah. 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 It sounds like a really, really positive start. You covered this slightly already, but I wondered about the therapeutic approaches that she was using. Yeah. Well, she did some of the stuff I've already mentioned just before, but she also, she worked, you know, with CBT and psychotherapy as well. It was kind of little bits and pieces of of that incorporated into it. And she talked about things more from the holistic approach, like I said, so she wasn't traditional. She, She worked on a more spiritual, existential, deeper way and working on the part of myself that is connected to the universe. So, you know, when you're feeling unsafe, knowing that you're always supported by that kind of bigger existential thing. And a lot of the work we did was always around the body as well, which I really liked. So when you're feeling something where you're feeling in the body and that kind of body work, mm-hmm. that was something I was looking for because I have a strong belief that a lot of my trauma is trapped in my body. Like it's been mm-hmm. carried around since I was a kid. So I really wanted to get to that and I love that she was doing that. So that was one of her approaches as well. And that your body is like a energy clearing machine. Like it clears, that's what it's there for to help you clear through stuff. So understanding that what you're feeling is just energy and that your body works through that. The other thing she did was the other approach that she used was also she would do chakra puncture on me or body healing. Like it's kind of like Reiki. But I don't believe she was qualified. I believe she mentioned that at the time, I think, that she wasn't necessarily registered for it, but she did it. I tried to kind of be open about it, but there were a few things I was concerned about at the beginning when she did it. It's kind of like acupuncture, but you're working on chakra points. So with needling? Yes, with needling. So given that she wasn't registered, I felt a bit iffy about it, but Mm. I believed in energy and healing and that kind of thing, so I gave it a go, and I had it a few times. And it was quite powerful, like the experience for myself of doing it, like other some other body work. But I was always that was one of yeah, I was a little bit wary of the fact that she wasn't registered. <laughs> so um, yeah, but that was also one of her approaches. She would do that with me and with other clients. I think mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, it sounds like there was a real mix of approaches and that kind of holistic perspective that you mentioned. And so you wrote a blog post. In this blog post, you wrote that you were embracing many of the beliefs of this woman and her network, but some were too far-fetched for you. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering if you could tell me about some of the things that you were on board with, and maybe those are some of the ones you've already mentioned, but maybe also some of the ones that seemed a bit off to you. Yeah, of course. The the things I was embracing was the things I've mentioned already that, you know, believing in a high power and that you're part of a bigger universe and that 
you know, we all evolve and grow both emotionally and spiritually. And the the body, you know, what's in your body, just energy and that it's a clearing machine. They were, the, they were the things that I embraced. The spirituality was definitely something I was embracing. I love the fact that it was psychology with spirituality. I felt like that mm-hmm. was something that was really missing. It was actually, yeah, it's similar to the holistic psychologist that's out there, you know, which her work is very kind of holistic and spiritual, but also very science-based too, the psychological work as well. And the, the world kind of like, to me, felt like I, I I always felt like I didn't fit in and the world was going crazy. And that was really something that she always spoke about, that the people would not evolve. And I felt like, okay, this is where I fit in. You know, you kind of feel mm-hmm. like you're starting to have people that get you. So that were the things that also matched and that I am more than my body. You know, you're not just this vessel, but you're mm-hmm. also more than that. That that was something as well and that there is more to me than just the emotions I was feeling because my anxiety was so bad and understanding that it was I was more than that and that I was here to make a difference in the world that was also something that she was very you know that was very part of her language and and really part of which I later found out became more about other things but you know that resonated with me and maybe that was part of one of my hooks as well. But the things that were far-fetched that I kind of started to think were a bit far off, the little, the little things were, and some of the bigger things was that I began feeling like a little off. And in hindsight, you know, it's easier for me to be able to say it now because I can mm-hmm. see the actual little red flags along the way. But the first red flag was in one session. I was speaking about sexual abuse that happened in my childhood. And she said, you know, you know that you were sexually abused in this life because you were a sexual predator in your past life. Mm. And then she told me not to tell anybody about that because they'll think I was crazy and that she was crazy as well. So that was my first like, wow, okay. Like I just kind of sat there thinking this doesn't really feel good in my body, you know, Mm. being told that. and. I kind of went away and thought about it for a bit and, and put it in a back pocket thinking I'm just going to see how this goes. I didn't really make any decisions at all. It's just something that kind of in hindsight now I think, wow, because I did notice it. And also when I spoke about the abuse that happened to me as a child as well, she would say things like, you know, you chose those experiences or you gave your power away on a spiritual mm-hmm. level, which I get that believing spiritually that we all kind of come here um, for me I believe that we come here with purpose and you know, kind of your soul has this bigger kind of thing but it felt very victim blaming to say that the child gave her power away to the abuse because you know children don't do that it happens to them and it is adults that do that normally but she was referring to a higher part of myself and age is irrelevant so that was confusing for me at the time like I remember thinking I don't really know where I sit with this and also it seemed really strange to me that, like, she spoke to me about her mentor, who is a leader of a cult here in Australia, and I didn't know then exactly. I didn't know that at the time, I don't think, mm-hmm. at the very beginning, but it just seemed really strange that she put him on a pedestal because when I remember when I was leading one of my sessions, she she was standing at the doorway and she told me how she saw him and his family coming out of a car at a workshop and that he was so godlike. Like she said, if you saw him, you would just see that he's just so godlike. You know, as he got out of the car, his energy and his whole family. And she was so such awe of him. And it just felt, that felt like it just didn't feel right. Like I'm seeing a psychologist. I don't want to be putting you on a pedestal, but you're putting somebody else mm-hmm. on this pedestal and this power thing. So that was something else that kind of like stood out to me. And 
She spoke about things like hierarchy and levels of involvement during sessions and that you basically come here on this, this lifetime and you grow and evolve and you go to different levels and every time you learn your lessons, you go up to the next hierarchy level and that basically we're living this life in preparation for when you die, you're going to be judged like these bodies beings when you die. That was just really far-fetched for me. Like I just didn't. I know, like, I don't understand what happens when we die. Nobody does, right? Like, mm. none of us have come back really to say what well, people say they do. <laughs> they've come back as somebody else. But I don't know. Like, it just felt, it felt like I didn't, I couldn't get my head around that. Like, we're here to be judged going through this hierarchy level. And she was always on this higher level than I was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, this power imbalance. And it just felt really uncomfortable. Like, I just, put on the side because I just mm-hmm. think at the beginning when things are really far-fetched I just decided to put it on the side and well I pick what I want and leave the rest behind because she's just my psychologist I don't have to mm-hmm. take on everything mm-hmm. she says you know like yeah, but when things become maybe too much then I might question about continuing to see her but mm-hmm. uh, other things happen in that relationship that kind of mess that up so there was always a lot of secrecy. I think that that's a really natural response as well, because I've also, I've seen a a therapist for various things that have happened in my life. And, you know, they might say something that it doesn't work particularly well for me. I have a condition called aphantasia, which means I can't picture things in my mind. And I never put this together, but I saw this therapist who told me about this exercise of kind of envisioning a tree and then looking at the branches and all of this stuff. And I was like, this isn't working for me at all, (laughs) obviously, because I can't do that (laughs) in hindsight. But it's like, to me, I just, I just put that aside and thought that's just not an approach that works for me so I think that that's just an entirely normal response to a situation like that as well you take what you feel is working for you and you put aside the other things correct yeah correct and you you know that your psychologist is not there to force you to do anything so Mm. you know like it's meant to be about what works for you anyway so your therapist is meant to work with you like that I know with my current psychologist I'm always asked you know what would you like to do and how does this work and what do you think feels best and like it's always me that gets to pick that. So, yeah, it, it was like a normal thing to say, okay, that's a bit far-fetched and <laughs> mm. I'm not going to do that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was also a lot of secrecy around her teachings. Like when she would tell me something, her beliefs or something about how to approach something, and then she would say, I can't tell anyone because they wouldn't understand because they weren't as evolved and I would look crazy. Mm. As soon as I started hearing that, I thought, mm, like it, it still wasn't enough to make me feel like, okay, I can't trust her. I really mm. felt like, well, I get it because for me, I partly got it because for me it was whenever I speak about spirituality or I speak about my beliefs and even in therapy, I know that the world in general kind of sometimes thinks that that kind of approach is crazy and mm. people are more scientific-based. or So I think that it was a normal thing for me to kind of fall into even though I felt like it was far-fetched and I didn't like the secrecy at all, I remember recognising that. But it was also something that seemed like, well, I don't go around telling everybody all my beliefs because, yeah, they might think I'm crazy. Like when you start a new job, you don't tell them all your beliefs. Mm-hmm. Like it's a process, I guess, of when you trust someone. But, yeah, it wasn't something that I generally felt. It wasn't a big warning bell, but it was definitely something that now in hindsight, you know, as soon as someone says to keep things a secret, it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> that's not a yeah. good thing to do. So, yeah, so... There was also rules, like she slowly incorporated rules about what to eat, mm-hmm. to eat certain foods that you shouldn't eat, that, that beef was heavier in energy and lamb was better and that you shouldn't listen to music because you would 
bring on other people's energy, take them into your body. So you shouldn't listen to, she never listened to music, like mainstream music. She would only listen to the music from her group, which was her, her mentor's group, which is the cult. So, you know, people mm-hmm. there made music and she would listen to that. Mm-hmm. And I remember in one of my first sessions, I have a tattoo on my arm and I remember one of my sessions she said to me, you know, like I wouldn't have gotten it. Like why did you get that tattoo? I wouldn't have done that because someone else's energy is going into your hand now, into your body. And I kind of like just sitting there perplexed thinking as well. I remember talking afterwards with my wife thinking, wow, like there's something like, is that, you know, do you believe that? Like is that something that is true? You know, I kind of questioned it, but I remember it standing out. There was also a letter that I needed at one point I needed her to write a letter for me for where I was working at the time where I was being really badly bullied and I needed something to verify the therapy I was having around that. And she didn't want to write, well, she wrote it eventually, but she was hesitant to write it. And she said to me, she was scared that the lawyers would look at it and see me as weak because of my anxiety and stress. And I kind of looked at her like perplexed thinking, but aren't you meant to empower me? Like, Mm. isn't that your job as a psychologist, like, isn't this good that I'm standing up for myself? And should yeah. I not be ashamed of that, you know, of the yeah. bullying? Like, I'm not got nothing to be ashamed about. So that was strange. And the major thing I think that was a big thing was her language around using spirit and soul and differentiating between the two. And this was something that at first I didn't fully understand, but because she indoctrinated that so much in our language, in our sessions, I started using it in my day-to-day life all the time, like, you know, like from her mentor, from the cult, from day one, I remember using the word spirit, which was basically the part of you that's unevolved. So if I've got in a dialogue that I'm not good enough or that, you know, your self-talk about yourself, that's the unevolved part of you and that's your spirit and it's controlled by higher energies. So that's the part that you basically don't want to be listening to. And then I took this on as part of my day-to-day life where I would speak about saying, using the word spirit, but I never really... All my life, I always thought spirit and soul to me were the same thing. I just see it as my my heart, you know, my energy, but it was different for her and that was the language that she taught me and that cats don't have any love in them at all. She said they were spirits, <laughs> but dogs do have souls. So she had a dog. She has a therapy dog that used to come in the sessions and they have souls, they have love, but my cats and cats don't. So she once asked me later down the track, she asked me when, when boundaries were broken and, and things got pretty skewed. She said, I don't understand why you have invited something that's not love into your home like a cat. And it just like it broke my heart at the time and I was so confused and so angry and I didn't understand. I kept asking her, what do you mean? What do you mean? And she just said, you're not going to understand me anyway. You're not going to believe me. So like, she just left that. <laughs> but that's something that she used to say a lot as well. Mm. And the word prana she used, which comes from the cult as well, which is like I believe is ego when a person's showing off or they're being vain or unevolved as well mm-hmm. and controlled by spirit energy. So there's all this thing, you know, around that. And then the soul as well is what she speaks about with the heart. And that's where your love is and that's the essence of who we are and coming back to ourselves. So she spoke about that. And, and yeah, to this day I think whenever I hear the word spirit, I'm triggered like, I just, it just brings me right back to, to her and the therapy because I never really, like, it just felt like you're kind of making this part of yourself bad or negative. And, you know, when you hear all this, it really sounds like a lot because it is a lot. One might wonder why I didn't wake up sooner, but when you've been slowly groomed into this over years and years and because I was seeing her for two and a half years, 
you don't realize the danger until it's until it's late you know until mm. it's hopefully not too late but you don't notice it so it's very mm. easy in hindsight <laughs> to say all this and yeah that actually kind of leads to my next question which was about that early on it seemed that there was some really positive stuff going on but with the benefit of hindsight do you have an idea of when you think that that started to change so that the balance was actually becoming more negative than positive? Yeah, I don't I don't think there was an actual incident. That's the thing. I think mm. that the grooming was so very, very slowly integrated into therapy from the very beginning, like mm. little breadcrumbs, you know, like using the word spirit or using the word about hierarchy or using like the different things that were just brought in so early. And Early, like in 2019, so that was, I think, about a year into seeing her, I did notice, so there was one thing that I noticed that kind of as well made me feel a little bit nervous or concerned, although I continued to see her because I just thought, again, I could just put aside because she's my therapist. But she made a point of calling me after there was a TV program on TV about her mentor and they did a report on him based on the work you know, court hearings in Supreme Court that he was running a dangerous cult to society. And she called me to let me know that this was on and had I watched it. And I just thought it was strange that she called me firstly out of therapy Mm -hmm. about this. And she was really pushing how it's a smear campaign and that, you know, the story they were doing on him was about the cult, but also that he had sexually assaulted a minor as well, potentially, I think. I don't Mm -hmm. remember the details of the court hearing, but I remember thinking, I hope it's not true because I was seeing her for sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how can I see her when her mentor, if this is true, you know? And maybe a part of me didn't want to believe it. Maybe a part of me thought, no, nah, well, I'm not seeing him, I'm seeing her. Like there was a separation. Mm-hmm. But I didn't also know how deeply she was involved back then. She's my therapist. You don't know things about your therapist. You just mm-hmm. know that they're teaching you new ways of dealing with anxiety and how to come back to yourself. And I trusted her. But she was kind of checking in on me saying, did you see the – the yucky energy from the journalist and, you know, the world's not ready for him, the, the cult leader, so that's why they're reacting that way and they're attacking him. So she was already priming me back then and normalising it back then. And then I think things started to change as well when the boundaries, the therapeutic boundaries were broken. So I noticed both in and out of therapy she had become more forceful. Her behaviour was more visible given that I was seeing her out of therapy as well so boundaries are broken I was in her home I was watching her in her life so I noticed the way her behavior was but it was also harder for me to see because I was more entwined now I was not just her client when those boundaries broke so it wasn't as clear but things really there's the point that I would maybe draw a line in is in end of 2019 when things really ramped up for me and when I began offering IT support to her mm-hmm. so that kind of just started where I was offering that there was something wrong with her iPad, I think, or something she was talking about, her computer. And I said, I can help you with that because I'm really tech savvy, really good. I do some tech stuff in the work I do as well as I'm just a geek. <laughs> so yeah. I do this stuff. So I just offered it like I kind of just said, I understand boundaries in therapy, but I also mm. know that if I'm doing anything wrong, she'll let me know. So yeah. I offered the help and I ended up spending a lot of time and weekends at her home. She accepted it by telling mm. me firstly that, I was going to get her into trouble, but she mm-hmm. accepted it. And I was at her home like till nine, ten o'clock at night every weekend. So this is from beginning of very late 2019 till lockdown COVID early, mm-hmm. you know, in March 2020, eating meals with her family, working on her computer, her iPad, her laptops, her phone, spending hours on the phone with her internet company, trying to fix her internet for her, 
so that she had better connection with her clients on Skype. I redesigned her website for her, did social media for her. So whenever she had a post or a blog or something on LinkedIn, redesigned her email signature. I even took her to an Apple store to buy new products. Some of them even in my name. (laughs) Oh my God. It was a whole bunch of stuff. She spoke to me also about going to California with her on a road trip because she was going to spread her teachings and and do that. And I was going to come along with her. So just like lots of jobs and tasks and projects and, and that went on until the pandemic hit and then continued until the end of the relationship in mid end of June. Was she paying you for this work? For some of it, only a few things. So she paid me for the web design and nothing nothing else. So yeah, web design and then what was associated with that, like the photographs as well, the photographs on the website. So she paid for that. I think she also paid for the email signature because I asked. I'm trying to remember. I think so, but not the other stuff. No, she sometimes when I left really late at night, she'd give me a little bit of money and say, go buy yourself dinner, Hmm. like as a thank you for it. And I kind of, you know, sometimes I'd refuse it and sometimes I took it. But I remember eating dinner so late at 10 o'clock at night somewhere, you know, (laughs) trying to find something that's open because it was so late and I was so tired and so drained. But I was doing it because I thought I was helping her. And I, I don't know, the beginning of a relationship when someone lets you in like that and there's this whole honeymoon, I got really caught up in that. Like I really, you know, I was helping her and I felt, I felt special. And, you know, I have some shame around that because, Again, in hindsight, I know that that's just, this shouldn't have happened, but it wasn't my responsibility either. And a lot of that responsibility was put on me. So that's why I have the shame. But I was just doing that the goodness of my heart. You know, I just wanted to help her. I knew she wasn't tech savvy. She didn't, she was really bad at tech. And I was just feeling like I was being part of something bigger and I was really helping out because I did believe in the teachings that she was saying, you know, about evolving and becoming a better person. I just thought I was helping her out. During lockdown, though, I began to put up some boundaries because it was just a lot. So we're at home working from home and, you know, I've got my own work to do. And then I was falling so far behind with my own personal projects because all my weekends were just with her from the beginning of the year or the end of the year before. So I had all these things, you know, I had just gotten married and I was wanting to edit a video and I didn't have time. And I started to put up boundaries because I wanted to attend to my own life and, Mm -hmm. It was consuming me, her work, so I was exhausted. And she began to get forceful and pushing me to do the work as a priority. Like she kept saying, but we need to get it done fast. There's like an urgency around it because it's being called for now, you know, energetically. And that's when I started to get like a little bit upset, you know, like I I felt like this is not right. And I didn't understand Mm. how her work was more important than my life. And Mm. she kept insisting that I need to trust her. And that I'll thank her later. She said that it was all part of my evolution of learning to let go of self, like that I will trust her. So she's trying to get rid of me to let go of self. But I mean, I understand to serve humanity as well, by the way, but mm-hmm. I understand ego. I understand that, but I don't think I need to let go of myself. Like this is still my agency and I still have say in that. But yeah, that's what she was trying to pull me away from and tear me apart from. And I needed to learn obedience and servitude. That's mm-hmm. that's what she told me. I can't believe it. So like even when I when I say it, but the reality is I was serving her, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's that's what I realized at the time. And I thought that's just not kosher. It's just not it's not okay to do that. So whilst I was seeing her, whilst all this was happening, I was still seeing her as a client as well. So mm-hmm. that started to feel really fishy. Like that was. There was this dual relationship. I was being her client. She was being my client because she paid me for some work. Mm. And we're also acting like a family. 
because there was nearly daily contact. She even said the word, like we said, this feels like a family, you know, mm. and, and she affirmed that and she felt like I was part of that and I felt like I was part of that. And when lockdown happened, you know how there was like shortages of meat and everything else that happened mm. in the chaos of the pandemic? Yeah. I remember I would be at the supermarket or the chemist and say, you know, SMS, do you need hand sanitizer? Do you need this or that? And she would do the same thing and we would be buying things for each other helping each other out so there's there was this whole i wasn't even reaching out to my own friends and family i was reaching out to her like that's how enmeshed mm. i was mm. in it and it makes me feel so sad now even saying that you know because that's how enmeshed i was but she was introducing me more and more into this fold you know of her and also the cult and her teachings and into her life and doing her it work and she would always joke with me that i was a plant and that i was going to get her into trouble and her plant, in her words, was like a spy, right? So I was this thing that was coming in specifically to spy on her. So I was going to get into trouble because she's part of a cult. And she was always cautious and wary because of that. So, and I used to think that that was so normal because, like, it's hard to explain, but it never really hit me till later how strange it is, you know, to say this to me, for her to say it. Mm-hmm. And if she wasn't doing anything wrong, then why would you even say that? you know, but I only see that now. <laughs> yeah. Is it that she's saying that to try to make sure that you are really clear that you're not that person? Is it sort of keeping you in check in a way? Yeah. It's really weird when you were talking about spending all of this time and all of your weekends, but that you also just recently got married. I wondered how your partner yeah. had felt about the time investment that you were making with this woman. Yeah. She was concerned, you know, about the fact that there was no life, you know, like I was just, my life was that. And, and that was part of the push as well for me, knowing that, like I had that support from her knowing that I need to speak up and actually speak for myself and say that, you know, I need time for myself. I mean, when I told my psychologist that I wanted time to do my own stuff, she said that that was an indulgence. That's the word she used to me. So yeah, it was definitely, it was affecting my life, you know, with everything, spending time with her, with my, with my wife and getting to do other things like other than that. The psychologist's belief was that we're here to serve humanity. This is what we're meant to be doing. This is meant to be what your life is about. And that's how it's like slowly, you know, like the early days of just talking about it in therapy to becoming a thing and part of my life. Mm-hmm. And it, I can't even speak of it. That's why I said it's hard to find a specific line. But I know when things really changed as far as what I was involved with and that's when things just became really blurry mm-hmm. <laughs> and Next thing I know, I'm like, holy shit, like I'm spending my whole life doing this stuff, like every weekend doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And so you, you you have mentioned and you also wrote in your blog that in June of 2020 you suddenly realised that you were being groomed in a very dangerous way and mm-hmm. that's when you knew you had to end the relationship. So yeah. it sounds like this was because you came to the realisation about not being able to run your own projects and that it was taking over your life. But is that uh, yeah. is that the, the point that kind of made you realise what needed to happen? Mm, not entirely, no. That was one of the things. Like that was definitely a, a, a big thing because you should never, I don't like using the word should, but, you know, your life is your life. <laughs> like nobody else mm. can tell you what to do with it. But there were other things. Like there were so many things that rang the alarm bells for me, especially once we got into lockdown, but it was a build-up. <clears throat> that led to that decision which was mm-hmm. in June so 
in my last session with her. I think I realized something was off when I was trying to put up the boundaries, like you said, to do my own projects. So that was one thing. But she said to me also, I forgot to say, when I wanted to work on my video, she said that it was indulgent and she said, you know, come on, there's work to be done here. And I didn't understand how that servitude was okay at the expense of myself. Like I, I began doing what I was, you know, for her, for generosity. It was, it was out of the goodness of my heart. And then it became an expectation. And that's when things, that's when something went off in me. And I thought I didn't understand serving humanity. How am I serving humanity? That was a question I asked her when I'm actually serving her. You know, I told her, I said, this is for your business. This is helping you. It's not helping humanity. But her justification is, well, I'm helping humanity, as in she is, mm. you know, through the work she does. So I was so confused about that and about her forcefulness. And she also used my own issues that she was aware of from therapy to gaslight me and to shame me. Mm. You know, that that's the damage. That's where I'm still trying to heal from. So when I began to question things towards the end, she just completely pulled back emotionally. Like So she, she really <clears throat> just wanted a one-way street. Mm-hmm. And she demanded that I still do the work for her, like I was still doing the blog posts or social media and a new project she wanted me to do with her. But this change, it, it became confusing for me because I didn't know who I was to her anymore. Like mm-hmm. it was no longer this inverted commas family feeling and the whole thing that was happening earlier. So like, for example, one of the things was a graphic design project that I was going to do with her. And when I tried to get clarity on the ownership of copyright, on the work I was going to do, alarm bells were going off in my head because she said that she had to get a mentor's approval before putting it out in the world, even if it meant throwing all the work away in the bin, mm-hmm. and that that was my attachment to my spirit if I didn't want to do that. So I, I was questioning. I didn't I didn't agree with it. I didn't understand it. Apparently she had to do that herself at the beginning with this cult, with her mentor. She had done all this work and this whole book, and she had to completely throw it away, and that she understood that that was her learning. And Mm -hmm. she had to learn that in servitude. So I think that she expected me to do the same, you know, to follow her path. And that wasn't going to happen because I didn't Mm -hmm. like doing that at all. And I think that's the part of me, the protective part of me that popped up, you know, that Mm -hmm. started to become more forceful with her as well and standing up for myself. So, you know, she also, I, I began to notice that she would use things when, like I said earlier, in therapy against me to shame me and put me in my place. When we were out of therapy, like SMSs, and, and she would send me when we were talking about something and she would say that I'm being emotional or that my boundaries were broken. The boundaries that we broke between her and me were broken because I was incorrigible. And I didn't actually look up the meaning of that until after everything. So... I Googled it and the definition of incorrigible is a delinquent or someone that's not manageable and unruly, right? So that now I realize, I think, wow, that's such a horrible word to use towards me that it's my fault, you know, Mm -hmm. that that the boundaries were broken. So she was also trying to get me to go to a workshop that, so part of the therapy that she started to intertwine as well with me is that there's these workshops being run by this cult. The cult, they're all over Australia as well as overseas, and mm. they have a lot of subgroups. And this was a, a particular women's one that was focused and aimed for women. And she really wanted me to go along to this workshop. So I went along to that as well and did that. And, and she, she was slowly getting me into all of that stuff. But there was one particular one that was run by her cult that was in New South Wales that she wanted me to sign up to, but she didn't want me to tell anyone else about it. So I was kind of like curious and at this point into, you know, doing this work with her. So I got an email, although this was towards the end. This was also one of the points that I 
this is one of the breaking things for me where I actually pulled away thinking I'm not going to maybe continue to have anything to do with her. It was a pretty big alarm bell for me, but I got an email back from the cult about this workshop and it really freaked me out because the way that it was written, like big bold letters in writing that said, do not share or discuss the details of this event with others. And I just felt like it was so culty to say that. So I decided not to attend, but my psychologist asked me why I didn't want to go. So I told her I felt like a cult. Like I said, I wasn't comfortable. And it wasn't the first time I'd questioned some of the stuff she was giving me as being culty or the group. And her response was normally that people were giddy about him, about the mentor, and that's why it felt like a cult. And there were some people in there that were doing that, but it wasn't a cult and that it was those people who were putting him on a pedestal, although she was doing it too, and that it made, you know, that's what made it seem like a cult. So she was really trying to normalise it, even with that. But I saw her trying to figure out where I was at by me not wanting to do it. So she was noticing a shift in me as well. And also, you know, like I felt something wasn't right every time I tried to talk to her about the messiness of the relationship and the power imbalance. So as things were getting really bad and I was thinking, what am I like? I'm your client, doing your work for you, your family. And it just felt really messy and it felt confusing because at the beginning we said we were always going to talk about it if anything felt uncomfortable. And she didn't want to talk about it. She was impatient and she was saying that I wasn't understanding the bigger picture and I was getting caught up with my spirit. So this just caused me a lot of concern, you know, like I just thought, I know that, you know, we made a deal to talk about it, but you're still my therapist and you're not showing up. Mm-hmm. So I just decided, I kept on trying to have conversations like say, can we talk? And she would just completely say no, like this again mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I decided to use my last therapy session to talk to her. I thought, okay, this could be the last one. And I was over Zoom, you know, during the pandemic, during lockdown. Yeah, so I said to her that, you know, about the messiness and uncomfortableness about it, even though I was paying for it, like I shouldn't have to pay for a therapy session to talk about this, but that's what I decided to do because that was the only time I could get the floor. Mm. And in the session, it became really clear. It became clearer for me. Like it became clear that she was not the person that I thought she was, and that she wasn't Mm. good for me and that I had to end it. She got so angry at me because I wanted to talk about this in my therapy session. Mm. Like she just said this again. She specifically told me there's others that needed that session if I didn't want to have it. Like she has a long waiting list as if I'm like, like what, you know? And I was really triggered by that because she got really angry. So for me, given my abuse background, if somebody gets really angry at me, I get very shaky and I get very, like I freeze, you know? Mm. So that's my fight flight response. And I got really triggered and I was really shaky and, I felt unsafe and I was looking out the window, the bedroom window, I remember, as she was doing this and I thought, I can't, I had to end this. And then she ended the whole session by saying that at least we love each other and that I love you. So she just love-bombed me at the end and it took a while for that to digest. Yeah, it took a lot. But one of the biggest things I think that woke me up, I think, to the whole thing and the relationship that was happening at the same time as this, especially the last session, was watching The Vow and Seduce with Sarah and Yanya and India and the others about the Nixium cult that was happening in the US. So that documentary came out at the same time here and that was a big part of, you know, I noticed the similarities in the language and the behaviour and I just sat there going, oh, my God, like, oh, my God, that's what she's doing. Oh, my God, that's what the group's like. So... There were so many aha moments and, and, you know, I reached out to them at the time, to Sarah and to Yanya, and they were so supportive and they helped me a lot with coming to terms and waking up to this as well. So I got a lot of 
the the whiffs like you know needing permission from people and the psychologist needing permission from her mentor and the forcefulness and the urgency and losing your life and all these little threads that were the same so that sends off really big bells because as soon as they tell you you can't do something of your own free will like that was something that you need to watch out for I now know that you need to watch out for so yeah that's a, mm. a long answer to your question but there were a lot of things that yeah happened with that yeah it's really it's kind of shocking that you could have that last session and try and talk about those things and that she could mm. get really angry with you and then end it by saying that you yeah. that you love each other it's like yeah she must have sensed that you were pulling away exactly exactly and she knew my my Achilles heels she knew that for me it's really important to know that somebody that's my I don't want to call it a weakness but you know like that's my little thing because of the things I've been through in life I need to know someone especially with a relationship like someone like that that we were so entwined that you know that she loved me like that would be my hook again that she cares about me so okay she still cares about me but that's the whole thing about abuse you know one mm. minute you're being abused and the next minute I love you and that I mean that's my childhood <laughs> so mm. you know it's confusing so and she was doing that like she's my psychologist like mm. it's just crazy well, thank goodness that you still had this sense of that it's actually not okay for someone to tell you that yeah. you have to kind of give up your whole self and that actually that's not a yeah. thing that should be happening. But that yeah, it seems like there were a lot of kind of tests along the way and that's just such a cultic recruitment method is to try and mm-hmm. see who who is actually going to be the person who's really going to devote themselves to this and who can we break down that sense of self exactly. and that sense of self-worth so that they'll really get invested and thank goodness you had enough of that to get out when you did. Yeah, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the support that I had in my wife. I'm thankful for things like the vow coming out at the time it did. But it is it's hard because you're you're in a psychological relationship as well. Like she's your therapist. It took a while, even though I had that awareness and I did what I did in the last session, I was able to do what I did to end it, the relationship. It was still a really hard thing for me to do because I was so entwined with there was more than just the therapeutic relationship. Like I cared about this person. I actually, Mm. like I loved her too. You know, there was a relationship Mm. that developed and that's where things got so messy that and and so hard to completely untether yourself from, you know. (laughs) Like I Mm. think I'm still to this day feeling like I'm working on that. Even though I did the major break, there was so much entwined because what she did spiritually as well. And my own belief system, it just, yeah, it was hard. It was really hard to do that. But that was my first step. I'm grateful that I was able to do that because it wasn't easy and it's it's not an easy thing to do. Mm. The next questions I had were about what she was teaching you about selflessness and how that kind of conflicted with the boundaries stuff, which I think we've sort of covered, but is there anything else you want to say about that? I wanted to say that. It was confusing because it didn't match because, you know, at the beginning of the relationship she would tell me to have the boundaries or she would tell me to come back to love or to be gentle, but she clearly wasn't doing any of that. So it became really, and just to obey, you know, somebody. So there were different rules for her and when it suited her or benefited her for humanity. So that was really confusing. But knowing that my health was suffering and that I was so exhausted, but she didn't really have any regard for that. There was still this Mm -hmm. urgency. When we began doing the work together and there was this thing about connecting to your heart and to your love and back to your soul and, and your core self, that 
that's what I love so much about the work we were doing. So that's a good thing that a person can do, you know, to be able to do that. So I wanted it because I had always been so disassociated as a child, you know, with myself and, and that's what I craved to come back to. And it was healing for me. But then to have that very thing used as a hook to groom me into her belief system and her teachings, like the cult's teachings as well, and to be manipulated the way she did, like it literally ripped my insides out. Like it took away my sense of self. Like it felt like I didn't know who I was and I kept questioning myself. Like maybe the biggest thing when things broke, like when it, when it split, when I pulled away, was that I kept questioning myself, am I the one making a mistake? Am I not getting it? Was I not evolved enough? And that's why, you know, like I needed to trust her. That was the main thing in my head all the time. And, but it didn't feel right as well at the same time. So there was something screaming inside me saying, this is really off, but it was easier for a long time to think that it was me. That's what I went through as part of my healing process since then. And she's my therapist and I was still in therapy and I needed to be open in order to be able to have therapy. I couldn't just shut that part of me down. Otherwise, what's the point? So, you know, constantly gaslighting me and and putting blame on me that I was reacting emotionally or that I wasn't evolved. So that's why, of course, I was more inclined to believe that it was me because I trusted her. Mm, so mm, that mm. was a thing, you know. And also early in her teachings, she was gentle. It was all about love, but she became so harsh and, and mm. blaming spirit to be harsh. So that was confusing. But my psychologist spoke about evolution of our souls and these levels of hierarchy. And I remember her saying at the end, before we went into lockdown, so it wasn't the very end, but the last six months, that apparently her mentor told her, that she had evolved to this next level of hierarchy. And I remember thinking, and that she didn't have prana anymore, this word that she used for like ego. So I remember thinking, okay, but that's great for you, but that's not what I'm seeing in you. You're not you're not that person. You're full of inverted commas prana. Like you're getting angry at me. You're reacting to things. You're being forceful and being impatient and abusive. So, you know, she's practicing tough love. Like that's not it doesn't match this whole thing of what you say and you're preaching. So that was also a really big mix match for me mm-hmm. when I was observing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When it came to disengaging, you'd isolated yourself from friends and family quite a lot. Yeah. But you did you did mention that you did still have some support. So I guess I wondered whether it was just a result of how full on this relationship became that you had isolated yourself or whether you felt there was any kind of influence creating this for you. I think it was both, 100%. Like I, I, I disengaged. I had support, but it was my wife mostly. I didn't, I lost touch with, you know, not completely, but I didn't keep in touch with all my friends or family as much. I didn't have time for them because I was so busy as well as I felt like they didn't understand. I was being told that this is special work. So this whole grooming part of it, yeah. So I was isolated in that sense. From the beginning, I was being slowly groomed not to tell anyone about the teachings, about what we were discussing in therapy because they'd think I was crazy. So I didn't tell anybody. And I, it was a secret language that I believed that we understood, me and her and others wouldn't because they were not woken up or evolved yet. So I just, that isolated me a lot. I wouldn't talk about it openly. You know, like when I see my GP and she'd say, how are you going with your psychology? I wouldn't necessarily talk about it because I think she'd think that the stuff we talk about is crazy. So I didn't talk about things until at the end when I finally told her when things had, when I, when I left. But she was constantly telling me that the world didn't get it. So there was always a grooming language of them and us, which is what cults do, right? So 
there's a separation there. And I knew that the alternative thinking was judged harshly by people. So, you know, I thought that they, they wouldn't understand. So I didn't mm-hmm. say anything. And she was gaslighting me too and blaming me for breaking the boundaries. From the m- moment go when we did break boundaries, when I helped with the IT, she was telling me I was incorrigible or that I was going to get her into trouble. I was going to get her license taken away from her. So I did everything to protect her. Like this isolated me so much because there was a huge responsibility that I felt on my shoulders. I took that on, not to get her into trouble. It was my fault. We're doing something naughty, you know? So that really isolated me. I just felt like I couldn't talk about it. It just really blows my yeah. mind. Like it's, it's her job to keep that boundary. That is a core part of her job exactly. and her responsibility. And for her to put that back on you is just so, exactly. it's really, it's just mind-blowing. Exactly. And that's affected me with finding support again with a psychologist now because mm. I'm still learning that the boundary is not my response. I mean, I need to obviously respect boundaries and I do that, but I don't understand. I'm not the psychologist. So mm. if I'm doing something that steps over that, I need the psychologist to let me know. So mm. Mm. that's a learning for me all over again because she did it. She abused me in that way by by blaming me. I still, I can't believe that she did that actually. So yeah, but as as bad as it also sounds like all of this, I have, you know, because she did that, I have so much shame around not telling anyone because I was protecting her and I wish that I didn't because, you know, I wish I protected myself. But mm-hmm. a big part of being isolated was to protect her because I believed the things she was telling me. Like I was mm-hmm. on board with some of the stuff and I loved her, like with Stockholm Syndrome, right? Like you, you, you want to protect that person as much as you think, wow, like they're being so abusive towards you. That's an actual thing. So she told me many times that she loved me. You know, it wasn't not just the last session. It was a constant, you know, via SMS or whatever. She would say she loved me. But then she used me and she made me feel like she trusted me, which to a degree she did because working on her IT stuff, I had her passwords. She let me into her home where she went out somewhere <laughs> and her family. So she did trust me. But in other ways, she also didn't because I really didn't know anything about what she was going through. Like she never shared her feelings necessarily or things that were close in her life. But she knew everything about me, right, because she's my therapist, So, which clearly shows the power imbalance. And what's messed up about it is that she turned that trust against me so that I'd be compliant and that I'd trust her blindly. and then. She used that to control me. So, mm-hmm. like, of course, this also isolated me, right? So how can I even contemplate reporting her or telling others at the risk of harming her? So that was all part of the game. That was all part of the thing with her. Whenever I queried media attention on her mentor, she made sure that she was saying that people, like this other woman that was writing a blog on him and everything, that not to read that because it has bad energy. So she tried to control what I would read, but I wasn't reading the bad stuff about this cult. She wanted to make sure she had nothing associated with that either so that she wouldn't get caught for being a part of it. You know, when doing her website, she made sure that the Google analytics were not linked to this other woman or related to the cult at all or anything. You know, she made sure there was a separation because she was scareful of being caught. And now I feel like I should have known better because... I'd be judged for this relationship back then. Like I felt like I was going to be judged for it. So I didn't want to tell people like, oh, you know, guess what? I'm seeing my psychologist outside of hours <laughs> because in my head I know that that's not right. And I, I felt shame for that. So I knew in my heart it wasn't right, but I was embarrassed and I knew I should have known better. But, you know, what would people think of me? But I believed the story that she was telling me, that it was them and us and I felt special. And I was mm. 
invited into a fold and it was I felt like it was my tribe the people that got me so I didn't tell anyone whilst it was happening and I think you've got to remember also that I was very busy doing a lot of her work so mm-hmm. it was time consuming I lost contact connection like I said and when it ended it just took months for me to get the courage to tell someone I didn't do it straight away it took mm-hmm. some time and it was also the beginning of COVID in June 2020 so I was isolated physically from everybody and now without a therapist as well so suddenly my world turns upside down but I can't talk to anybody about it to get support all the therapists I tried to reach out to were not taking new clients everybody was booked out till the year after so I didn't even know how to begin explaining it to anybody and to trust mm-hmm. anyone again to go through that so it took some time mm-hmm. I finally did tell a friend months later Mm. And they can't believe it. (laughs) Yeah. I was wondering what this experience taught you about the idea of people who join cults. Like most people, all they're doing is that they're attending some sort of self-help seminar or there's a guy I spoke to who just went to martial arts school and he ended up in a cult. And it's like for you, you were seeing a therapist, like you were doing something completely you know, what most people should be doing. Correct. And the idea that that could then end up with you almost being recruited into a cult is just. Yeah. Mind blowing. To me, that says like, yeah, people aren't <laughs> going out there joining cults. That's just not what's no. happening in these situations no. at all. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. I think you, yeah, you don't join a cult. That's a hundred percent. You don't join one. <laughs> I think, you know, it. it's, it's a way of abusing people and manipulating them into something by using, like you said, for me, 100%. Like I went there for therapy and I had to trust her and that was used against mm-hmm. me. So I didn't choose to join that. I just believed some of the beliefs that she was sharing with me. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's really bad though. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think you you maybe wrote that you thought this person only had good intentions and truly believed in the good of what she was trying to get you involved with. Yeah. Do you still think that's true? I do. I think that I think that she had good intentions because she believes in what she's what she's doing. Mm -hmm. But I don't believe that she had good intentions towards the end necessarily. I could never speak for her and what her motives Mm -hmm. were, but I think she so indoctrinated herself into what she's doing and she truly believes it you know as good as the intentions were or how much she did believe her teachings it wasn't her job to let me know what was good for me Mm. so in therapy it was her job to provide me with options and to empower me to make my own choices right so even though her intentions may be good it was skewed with control manipulation gaslighting Mm. coercion like all those things so she's meant to empower me but not use power over me so mm. or to slowly integrate her beliefs and choices in her life for me to follow. It's not meant to be done like that. Like, you know, and if I didn't obey her or agree, then it's not okay to gaslight me, you know, by saying that I'm not evolved or that it's my own issues. So she can believe what she likes personally. I mean, other therapists I know I have no idea what their belief systems are really. You know, you kind of get a gist sometimes about where they're at with things based on how they work with you. But as a therapist and especially a registered psychologist with APRA, she should mm. never like bring in her own beliefs for that into therapy or force it onto her client like that. Mm-hmm. And the way I see it is that she basically spiritually abused me by using her core belief systems and then, and my own spiritual beliefs. And that was the most precious thing to me. Like that's 
my insights, you know, like to hook me in and question that I now question myself and that I began to feel like I was losing myself because that's what happened for years now afterwards Mm. and made it so difficult for me to untangle what's mine and what's the abuse and what's hers Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. some of the stuff she says is there's nothing wrong with it, you know, like Mm. it's coming back to yourself and to love and and loving yourself. That's a good thing. But Mm. because it's tangled in with her, you know, I'm still to this day still trying to untangle that and, even when the boundaries were broken, it was not okay for her to manipulate me into doing her work, you know, for the greater good of humanity or to groom me into letting go of my own instincts and myself. So she made me question all my instincts, which is what cults do, right? Like they make you question your own alarm bells. So it's actually a really good question, I think, you're asking this because it's something you need to ask yourself if somebody else has any slight red flags about whether a relationship, any relationship is good for you or not, whether it's your partner or your job or whatever, to, to you know, to provide information and insight so that you need to go and find that information for yourself and, and feel it so that you're empowered because when you've got that education or that insight, then you, you empower yourself to make your own decisions. And in this scenario, I was told not to trust that and not to trust others and not to trust my own instincts because I wasn't involved so, and that she knew better. So I'm glad that I began to see the red flags, even though I wish that I had seen it sooner. But, you know, that's easy to say in retrospect. But I think it's a really good question that people are not scared to be informed and to understand that this happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I honestly, I can't imagine how how difficult this all must have been. And as you say, you're still dealing with the after effects mm-hmm. now. But the idea of this coming from a therapist who you open yourself up to Mm -hmm. you think you can trust them and then now needing to seek therapy for trauma that came about as a result of (laughs) seeking therapy for trauma. I mean, it's just, I yeah, Yeah. I wondered if you could tell me a a bit about the sense of betrayal around that. Yep, of course. (laughs) It has been. It's it's such a, it's mind-blowing to me still and this happened to me. Like if somebody was telling me about it, I'd be like, wow, like, you know, just to get my head around it. But it's been a really painful period the last two years. So this happened 2020 in June. It's been just over two years. To be able to untangle myself from the mess, like it just feels like I never got to finish my therapy with her, you know, even though Mm -hmm. I had such positive changes in myself that I was seeing, but then the trauma I still had trauma work to do that we never really got to because she was grooming me to be this good student and she was my mentor at the end, but that's the words that she used. So I have childhood abuse that I haven't fully dealt with and then I was re-traumatised by her now. So where I, I kind of I not only lost my connection to my core self and my spirituality or my coping mechanisms and my tools and, and you know, I lost my therapist also and she she took me to really dark places in therapy, but then never finished it. You know, we never got to really continue to work because we came about her stuff. So I kind of felt like I lost it all. And it's taken years to be able to begin healing that and to, un- like I said, to untangle it. And I'm only just realizing now how deep it goes. Like at the beginning, I thought, wow, this is pretty, this is pretty bad. But as the years of going on, I'm really realizing how deep it goes and the harm that she did so profoundly psychologically to me, spiritually and also emotionally, you know, that it's taken me so many years to work through. Because I had to be open. That's the thing. Like you've got to be open for therapy Mm -hmm. because otherwise it doesn't work. So I had to make myself vulnerable. I had to trust her. I had to trust the process 
So when she harmed me that way, the damage, it went deep, it went really deep. And it's hard for me to believe that she could have done this to me. Like I still kind of can't, like I think, wow, like how could she have done that? Like did she know? How how much does is she aware of? Because her betrayal, like that caused me so much struggle to find a therapist afterwards. I didn't mm. trust the new therapist easily. Like I've been through a few, like I've been trying to find someone that feels like the right fit and I didn't feel safe enough to open myself up and to do the work, you know, the actual work to where you've got to be vulnerable. And I've, I'm constantly hypervigilant, like I'm in fight or flight mode all the time in my life. And whenever I spoke to a new therapist, like, you know, you first call them and I spoke to them and I would always be so cautious and wary and I would go through this checklist of like, do you know this person? Do you know that person? Do you, you know to make sure that they're not associated with them? So there's this hypervigilance and feeling really unsafe due to the extreme betrayal from her. So it's only now in the last few months that I'm finally actually allowing someone in with my current therapist and I found someone that I feel that I'm safe with. It's taken till now, like just a few months ago. We spent like seven months like just building trust again because I, I wouldn't let them in. So, yeah, it's, it's been it's been bad in that regard. Yeah, it's just awful. Like, it's, yeah, it, it takes so much to even talk to a psychologist in the first place, and yeah, to even get to a point where you can trust them, and then to have that violated. I just, yeah, I, I cannot even begin to imagine the the damage that that does to you. I know. And I think my head always thought like, yeah, it's bad, but I never really got the gist of how bad until I started to have to try to do the work again and discover that. And something else that like, like there's things in my life that have changed that I never used to be before, you know, and also I just want to say thank you for validating that as well. Cause yes, it's been really, really hard. So thank you for saying that it really validates the experience because when you're going through it like this on your own, you just kind of I mean, I'm not on my own solely, but, you know, like you feel like other people maybe don't understand or people are not aware of it or may not get it, but it has been really hard. That is how it's been. And still after the two years, like I'm still having, so I went to see her for panic attacks, but I've been having panic attacks at another level that I've never had before. Like I've never been as bad as what I've been having this year since April where like I went, I had to go to hospital to get some tests done, just a CT, you know, they had to put contrast in, so I needed an injection. And I had such a bad panic attack in hospital while they were doing it that my BP dropped so low that they called code blue on me because I was about to pass out. Like they got the ICU unit there stat around me and that was anxiety. That was what they call a vasovagal response apparently because my body felt like it basically was in survival and it's going to shut down and immobilize me in free state like that's basically what was going down you know so it was terrifying and this happened to me twice this year not as bad as the as the bp dropping and code blue the one before that in april was i was coming out of an anesthetic from a procedure i had and i had to get and my heart rate was so high that I like really high that they basically didn't want to let me go after the procedure because the anxiety was so bad. So it's just like, yeah, this is really scary for me and I've never experienced it. So the constant, you know, the trauma of what she did has caused me to be in constant fight and flight mode. And I haven't been able to sleep for two years, like to go to sleep. I sleep once I'm asleep, but I can't go to sleep. So there'll be some nights that I'll literally be up to 6am or 3am and get just a couple of hours sleep. So you can't function in my day-to-day life and I'm exhausted and burnt out 
And mm. the therapy that I've had to do with my new psychologist is basically up till now, I would say a big chunk of it is working on what the last psychologist did mm. like before I could even catch up to get to my other stuff. She's had to help me untangle everything and to feel safe again and to learn new tools and to reconnect to me. Like I didn't even want to, I, I basically split. I couldn't mm. find myself again and my grounding even to be able to breathe so that I can catch my breath because usually at night that's why I can't sleep, I can't catch my breath. So mm. she's caused so much destruction inside me at a core level and it's taken a lot to find my way back. I'm finding it very slowly, like I'm, I'm getting there, like I definitely feel that. But my current psychologist has helped me so much <laughs> to be able to find that and we're only just getting to it now. It took me so long to trust again, but I'm there, I'm getting there and there's a therapist I saw right after it happened. I found someone, a social worker that I was seeing and she helped me triage at the time. She wasn't someone I continued to see because it just wasn't a hundred percent fit, but yeah, she helped me triage. So I had that as well, just to kind of stop bleeding, you know, after it happened. And basically the way I see it is I went to get therapy and spiritual growth to heal, but I walked away sicker, you know, a lot sicker. That's how I feel about it when I explain it. Yeah. 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 I'm so sorry this happened to you. Thank you. Uh, Sarah. There's nothing I can say. It's just, it's so, no. yeah. I think it's pretty clear, but I wondered if you could verbalise for me why you think it's important for you to talk about this experience now. Yeah. Speaking out is a big thing, I think, for any survivor of abuse. So I think that standing up for myself by speaking up about it and it's part of the healing process, it's, it's one of the reasons and with my own history of abuse, I think that it's meant I've always had to feel like I didn't have a voice. So part of my healing is really finding that voice again and not to feel shame around it or to be silenced. So that's one of the main reasons. The other reason as well, one of the main motivators is that I wanted to speak out because I wanted to make sure that others were safe from having this experience themselves. Because what worries me the most since this happened is that these other clients that she's seeing because she's still practicing even now what if they're really vulnerable what if they're being groomed into the cult like what if they're just holding on to life and and this experience will be that one thing that pushes them over so it's not okay to do it to me it's not okay to do it to others it's a huge violation and betrayal and it's against her code of ethics as a psychologist right to do no harm mm-hmm. so I want to make sure people will become aware of this, like through your podcast. Thank you so, so much for interviewing me because I want people to hear the story. I would never have guessed that this would have happened if it didn't happen to me. So it took me a while though to speak, like to, to get to this point, even to speak out because I had to obviously go through my own process. I wish I could have done it sooner because obviously she's been practicing still for a couple of years, but it's always been my goal to speak out. Like the first thing was writing my blog, I guess, about it. And then I gained the courage to report her to APRA, which they're the governing body that you need to register with to practice psychology. And so, and now doing your podcast, like, so I guess it's been like a gradual thing and the APRA investigation is still underway. So she's had restrictions put in place to her registration that's publicly next to her name on the APRA website. So for me, I'm hoping that that helps others. I hope that they are aware to go look there and see when they're seeing a psychologist to see if there's any restrictions or any alarm bells. But along with making others feel safe, I just wanted to make sure others were aware of the dangers because I didn't have any idea this could happen with a psychologist. So it's your most trusted person other than your partner or your family, you know, like she's dangerous, I think, given the work she does and the vulnerability of her clients. 
because I just keep wondering, like, what if I wasn't as strong, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Until you wrote to me, I had no concept that this could happen as well. Like I found it incredibly shocking too. Yeah. A lot of people go through trauma in silo that, you know, later, you then later realize that there are others like you going through it, which is really healing. So I think part of me speaking up is for that reason too. I don't want other people to feel like they've got to go through it by themselves and that they can relate maybe to the story. So it's so hard for victims of crimes to speak out, right, to to be able to say and have a voice around what happened because they're often they're not believed, unfortunately, in our society, sometimes because of the way things are culturally but also and power control and also for fear of the safety. I just hope that after hearing this podcast that people, you know, when they're choosing or seeing a psychologist that they might be able to go to APRA website Google their psychologist's name and see if there are any conditions or restrictions as a way of keeping themselves safe and being informed. And, you know, it's a public website, so it's there for that reason. And I just want people to know that they have agency and they have choice because it's something I recently have relearned thanks to my current psychologist that we have that. And, and there's so many trauma survivors like myself that feel disempowered and they feel that they don't have choice because it was taken from them. But fighting that again is what's empowering and healing and knowing that there's things out there. So I want to try to help people be aware of that. That's important to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Part of the reason. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. And it's when you've been through an experience like that, it sort of is one of the few things that you can do with it, right? One of the few positive yeah. things. Yeah. Exactly. I can't change what happened, right? I can only take with it what I learn as well as what I can speak out about it i'm just a real advocate for speaking out and having a voice if something doesn't feel right something isn't right and i think it's important that people don't feel like something's wrong with them because i know how that feels and it's not it's not the way we should be feeling so i was also wondering you mentioned you have reported her to opera but i was wondering if you had any other thoughts about what might be done to better protect others from the same thing happening yeah, I, I was going to say actually because like with domestic violence, right, or coercion in family, it's illegal. So, you know, to do that, there's laws against it and, and coercion in some places around the world in Australia. So why is this kind of abuse from a registered psychologist any different or okay to happen or from a cult? So for me, it's like how can a registered psychologist be registered and still be treating patients this way? So I think it's important to speak about it for that reason. I think given that psychologists need to be registered with APRA, I think APRA needs to get better at protecting the community, which is what their job is. I'm not sure how. I think it's a difficult space, but they can't do it alone either. They don't know what they don't know, what's happening out there. And what I've been told is that it's the people reporting it. So if it wasn't for me reporting it, they wouldn't be aware of it. And the reasons that I came forward was to let APRA know so that they could be prevented from happening to others. And they've taken it really seriously, which is a really good thing. Like I'm actually really impressed with how seriously they've taken this whole thing. And I think the psychology board also needs to be more stringent in their processes as far as how they place and monitor professionals out there because she could go out there, my psychologist, and now longer no, not be a psychologist if she's not registered and just be a therapist and still do what she's doing, right, and go under the radar. But what is so difficult is that I trusted her even more knowing that she's a psychologist because I thought yeah. she's really, you know, like she's got this accreditation, she's registered, and you're meant to be safe. And given what I know also about the members of the cult, there's so many. I know that there's a lot of professionals practising 
other psychologists, other doctors, other health practitioners that are part of the cult doing exactly what she's doing. So there needs to be a way to ensure that as a community that we're safe and that these professionals don't get to groom potential clients, that their tentacles are out there everywhere and that they don't get to do that, you know. That's what's so scary and I don't know the pinpoint how to say that we can try to prevent it but speaking out as well and and I think that in our society there are just so many cults using the guise of self-development to draw people in and to abuse them and the more that we talk about it like through your podcast Sarah and, and other ways like you know we can do that the more that we can erase the stigma that it won't happen to me that that happens to them the crazy ones like that's something that there needs to be education and awareness like through this what we're doing and, and other media outlets but as long as there are people who want to abuse power and kind of control people cults are going to exist is what I think you know it's it's gonna that leads me right back to the regulating bodies I guess to ensure that practitioners are not abusing their power and abusing their clients in the way that I was but mm. yeah <laughs> yeah I agree <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really strong point to finish on. But I did want to ask if there is anything that we haven't covered that you wanted to talk about. There was one other point I wanted to say in regards to the question about what did the experience teach me about those who join cults. I just wanted to say that that's the like the thing is is that what I learned most is that people don't join cults, which is what you said before that you're groomed into one, and that no one knows it's a cult. Like when you rock up mm-hmm. to it, people are normally looking for ways to improve their lives and. You're looking at trying to find a deeper meaning or looking for support and you're open and, you know, you, you fall prey to it, especially in a psychologist client role. Mm. And I never, ever thought that I'd be part of a cult. Like if someone ever said that to me, I would like go, nah, that, there's no way. But now I understand it so much better that it could happen to anyone that I have to be open in order to grow as a person and in therapy and, and looking at ways to improve myself and ever since. I was a kid because I was looking for that deeper meaning in life and I've been existential in that way and that my psychologist, she also told me that she was looking for that same thing with her mentor. Mm-hmm. It makes sense for me now. That's the other thing that can get you can get hooked into cults very easily because if you're looking for that thing, that deeper meaning and trying to figure out what life's all about, that that's, that is the hook. And I think like even my psychologist has fallen victim to that, I would say, She's a victim to it also. Mm. She believes it still and she doesn't think she is. But mm. I think that intelligent people find themselves in cults. There's not a kind of person that goes there and people need to know that it, it can happen to anyone and that no one's immune to it. I think it's really, I want that message to be really clear because mm. it bothers me when you hear people say that that would never happen and that, you know, there isn't a particular kind. It's, it's not like this crazy or stupid people. You just, it's the opposite, I think. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend that I was talking to late last year that I was sharing my story with and she said she'd never fall for a psychologist who was grooming her into a cult because she was looking for one. And I said, oh, be careful, you know, don't, don't go to one that's following a cult. And she's like, oh, I would never, I would never do that. And I was so hurt by it and angry because mm. it's such a judgmental thing to say and it demonstrates how people think. Like it just made me really aware, like people think it can't happen to them and that you're somewhat smarter that you can kind of like not allow it to happen. But cult leaders and, and cults they groom they're predatorial they're, they're if you understand the grooming process you understand how people end up in them i know that i didn't allow this to happen and it's not my fault now like after all this work i'm doing and that i trusted the wrong person and without 
me knowing and without my permission, the game changed on me. Like it was her that abused my trust. It wasn't the other way in simple terms. So yeah, that's all I just want to say about that. But in regards to if there's anything else you haven't mentioned, I think I just wanted to end it on saying that I really just wanted to reiterate how easy it is to fall into the situation as well that I fell into and how much damage it can cause, which I hope I've been able to kind of show some light on because I was looking to understand my world better and I trusted my psychologist, which I am meant to do for therapy, like I've said quite a few times already, and I don't want this to make people more untrusting of therapy or doing work on themselves, you know, seeing a therapist. I think some people, I don't want them to feel like they can't do that because, in fact, I'm a really big advocate for therapy and because mm. I, I know how much it can, it can be life-transforming. It can, the work you can do on yourself, it's actually really good if you can find a good one, but finding a good one is really hard. It's really hard. <laughs> and I want people to go in with open eyes and not be scared to ask questions, like be a pain. If in your head you're thinking you're being a pain, be a pain, just ask the questions you need to ask and always believe in your gut and your instincts and never let anyone take away your choice or your power or your autonomy or your agency. Like no one knows what's right for you more than you do. That's my one big takeaway. I think that's a really, really good point to make at the end there as well, that you're not you're not saying don't see a therapist. You're saying yeah. this is a thing that can happen. Make sure you ask the right questions and, and be aware that yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it is. It's so hard to find a good psychologist Isn't already it? without yeah. <laughs> without yeah. throwing this into the mix, far out. Exactly. It's really hard to find someone. I mean, I've always thought that. That's why when I thought I found my last psychologist, I thought, oh, I found a really good one, you know, because she got me and I was really always so happy about that. But mm. now that that's fallen apart, like how do you find somebody else? And, and it's it's just hard to find someone that you click with. It's like any relationship, more so than anything else, I think it's like finding a partner that, that mm. you click with. And I think it's difficult to find one that you can trust. But, I'm yes, I'm a big advocate of it. I think you should. Therapy is great. Like therapy is good if you've got things to work on and you need it. You shouldn't, you know, definitely something that is life-changing if you find the right one and a good one. But just keep looking, even if you go through six, you know, or tw- 10 or 12, like just keep going and just keep looking, ringing them up, talk to them, listen to your gut when you speak to them, ask them whatever questions you need to ask them. I know that when I first, like my current psychologist, when I first talked to her, I think she may have thought like, you know, I was asking some pretty full-on questions and wanting to know certain things because I didn't feel safe and I think she may have been taken back by that. But I asked them. I needed to. So I think it's good to do that. Mm. Mm. And you would think a good a good psychologist would recognise, okay, there are some, some issues here around trust and that's yeah, that she did. Together. So, yeah, yeah to, she not, did. to not kind of get defensive <laughs> or, yeah. Exactly, exactly. She says that to me now, like, now I get it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now I understand. I mean, she understood then as well, but it was in context now. So, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Avi, for taking the time to talk about your experiences with me. I know it's a lot to go over and I really appreciate it. And I think it's really valuable information for people to know. So thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for the platform and for your time to do this because, I mean, it's through these things that we get this kind of thing out there. So I really, really appreciate your time also, Sarah. Thank you so, so much.
You can access early and ad-free episodes and support the production of this independent podcast via Patreon, patreon.com slash ltaspod, or with a one-off donation or merch purchase. You can also grab a copy of my book, Do As I Say, How Cults Control, Why We Join Them, and What They Teach Us About Bullying, Abuse, and Coercion. This episode of Let's Talk About Sects was written and produced by me, Sarah Steele. Music was by Joe Gould. A very special thanks to Avi for sharing her story with me. Information sources are listed on the episode page at ltaspod.com. If you've been personally affected by involvement in a cult or would like to support those who have been, you can find support or donate to Cult Information and Family Support if you're in Australia via cifs.org.au and you can find resources outside of Australia with the International Cultic Studies Association via icsahome.com. APRA, which Avi mentioned in this episode, is the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency, and its website is www.ahpra.gov.au. There you can search the Register of Health Practitioners for any conditions or undertakings imposed in relation to their practice. If you are concerned or notice any red flags with your psychologist or any registered health practitioner, it's worth going to the APRA website to search for them to see if there are any conditions placed against their name. If you or someone you know is in crisis or needs support right now, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 in Australia or find your local crisis centre via the International Association for Suicide Prevention website at iasp.info. Thanks for joining me and hope to catch you again next episode. Thanks again to Audio-Technica, presenting partner for Season 5 of Let's Talk About Sects. If you're in the market for some top-quality audio equipment, use promo code LTAS10 at audio-technica.com on their Australian store to get a discount and support this show. Their range of headphones and turntables is quite ridiculous, and don't get me started on their mics. Audio-Technica, celebrating 60 years of listening. Thanks for joining me, and hope to catch you again next episode.